What is up guys, it is Quinn here back with another video and today I'm going to be going through the realistic floors and ceilings of the players going in the second round of NFL drafts. So yesterday I went through the top 12 players, today I'm doing basically player 13 through 24. If you're spending a top round pick on a player, you should probably have a decent understanding of their floor, their ceiling, you know what kind of range of outcomes you can be getting from these players. It may help you kind of point out some certain values maybe help open up your eyes to like, hmm, do I really want to be drafting this player there if the ceiling isn't there? Or maybe the floor is a little bit lower than I initially thought. So just some things to keep in mind here. While you're watching the video, if you enjoy the content, just do me a huge favor, hit the like button, and then subscribe to the channel. But let's just jump right into the players. So we did 1 through 12 yesterday. We're going to start it off here at number 13 with Travis Kelsey. And I feel like Travis Kelsey's range of outcomes is pretty limited here. Obviously, the ceiling is a tight end one. He's basically been a top two tight end in points per game the last, like, what is it, five, six years. The man has just been dominant. So his ceiling is obviously the overall tight end one. And then if we're looking at floor, like, I really can't see him finishing much lower than, like, tight end three. Obviously, the tight end position is weaker. But, like, you have a guy like Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews can finish ahead of Travis Kelsey. He did it last year. Like maybe Kyle Pitts can if he has a big touchdown season, but I don't really see Kelsey falling below like the Kittle Waller tier, especially when you look at the target competition that both Darren Waller and George Kittle have. So it seems like his floor is probably like the tight end three. The one concern here with Kelsey would be the age. You know, he's starting to reach that point where you would see regression, but even if he regresses, like he can drop two points per game and still be like the tight end two in fantasy. So very limited range of outcomes there for Kelsey, and it makes it seem like he's a pretty solid pick here in the early second round. At 14, we have DeAndre Swift. I really feel like DeAndre Swift has elite RB1 upside, especially in like PPR formats. He's a top pass catcher. I think this Lions offense could be a lot better than it was last year. You have improvements around him, which you know you may argue that would take away his receiving production. Overall, I think his efficiency and his touchdown upside will kind of make up for that. So I could see him having a very high ceiling. I would definitely not be surprised if heading into the 2023 season, we're viewing DeAndre Swift as like a top five running back in redraft drafts. So I do think Swift can finish as a high-end RB1. And then when we're looking at his floor, I feel like maybe we're looking at like a high-end RB2. You know, there's a potential route. He's in a little bit of a committee here with Jamal Williams. Maybe they don't give him a huge workload on the ground. Maybe he doesn't produce in the touchdown department. So probably looking at like high-end RB2 to elite RB1. Then we move on to CD Lamb. If you guys have been watching my videos, you know I'm probably lower on CD Lamb than consensus. I acknowledge that CD Lamb does have a very high ceiling. I could see him finishing as like wide receiver four, wide receiver five if everything clicks correctly. He has very limited target competition. This is likely going to be a high-scoring offense. You know, he's going to be the clear-cut wide receiver one on this team. We just saw that James Washington is now going to be out with, I think, a broken foot. You have Michael Gallup, who's likely not going to be ready for week one. So the opportunity is going to be there for CeeDee Lamb to ball out. So I do think he has very high upside here. I also think, you know, maybe his floor is just a little bit lower than everyone else thinks. It seems like a lot of people just want to pencil CD Lamb in as like a mid-tier wide receiver one. When in reality, he has never finished higher than a low-end wide receiver two. And obviously, he's only had two seasons in the NFL. So I'm not trying to take shots at CeeDee Lamb here. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, 
He finishes as a high-end wide receiver too. The wide receiver position is stacked. You know, maybe he just doesn't take that elite alpha role. Maybe they spread the ball around. They use Zeke Pollard in the past game. You have Schultz there. Gallup comes back sooner than expected. So I feel like a realistic range here would be a high-end wide receiver two to probably like a mid to high-end wide receiver one. I don't really see him being like the number one, number two overall. In my opinion, it's just too big of a jump from his 2021 season to all of a sudden be like a 21-point-per-game guy. But wide receiver four, wide receiver five, I feel like that's definitely possible. Now we move on to another wide receiver, and that is Debo Samuel. I think for Debo Samuel, you know, his ceiling is clear. He was an elite wide receiver one last year. I think that's totally in the range for him to do that again. I've seen some people kind of souring on Debo Samuel, and the typical argument seems to be based around his role as like that wide back position. Remember early on in the season, he was used as a wide receiver. Then they transitioned him to being this wide back where he'd get a ton of carries. He would get goal line opportunities, and people really loved him being utilized in the spot. But I think what people forget, like Debo Samuel was an elite wide receiver one when he was just a wide receiver. Like the point per game numbers early in the season compared to the wide back position, like they are very, very close. If anything, like the wide receiver position is probably better long term over an entire season just because the injury risk is not there. So my concern with Debo Samuel really just comes into the competition around him. And if they have Trey Lance at quarterback, like, is there going to be a drop-off in pass attempts? And then you have guys like Brandon Ayuk, remember, early on in the season. Like, Brandon Ayuk was doing nothing. He started to break out towards the end of the year. You have George Kittle there. So in my opinion, the floor with Debo comes in more with the target competition. And just the question marks on what kind of passing volume this offense is going to have. So looking at a floor, I feel like they're going to get the ball in this dude's hands. So even if the volume is semi-low, I don't really see him falling below like a high-end wide receiver two. So a pretty similar range, in my opinion, to C.D. Lamb. You're really just buying into the talent and the coaching staff here where I believe they will get the ball in his hands, whether it's in the backfield, you know, quick hitters. Debo Samuel is an absolute yak monster. So that's what I'm thinking with Debo. Then we move over to the running back position with Aaron Jones. For Aaron Jones, I feel like his range of outcomes is pretty wide. I think if we're looking at ceiling here, it's probably a mid-tier running back one. I don't want to say that he can finish as like a top three running back, just because I don't know how likely that is when you have A.J. Dillon back there, right? Like a lot of these elite guys, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, you know, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, like they are not splitting touches in the backfield. They may have a decent backup, but it's not going to be like a 60-40 split, which is what we could see here with Aaron Jones. So a ceiling, if he gets a ton of receiving work, is used out of the slot a little bit. I feel like it's like a mid-tier RB1. If we're looking at floor, it's probably like a high-end to mid-end RB2. There's just some question marks with his usage here. Because if we kind of go back to late in the uh, 2021 season, if he's used in that way, like that is not going to be good for fantasy, where he's almost splitting like dead even with A.J. Dillon. We're going to need to see him take on a bigger receiving role. So if he does that, I think that's where we reach the ceiling. If he doesn't, I feel like the floor is probably like RB15, RB14, somewhere in that range. So like in between a high-end and mid-end RB2 option. At pick 18, we have Mark Andrews, and I feel like his range is basically the exact same as Travis Kelsey. He's proven he can finish as the tight end one overall. He did it last year. So that's obviously going to be the ceiling. And then the floor, I just can't see him falling out of the top three guys. It seems like he's set up to be the top target for the Ravens. 
At worst, he's going to be, you know, the second target. But I really can't see Rashad Bateman kind of stepping in and overtaking him as the number one guy. So basically anywhere from like tight end one to tight end three seems realistic here. Then we go back to the running back position with Javante Williams. I feel like people aren't going to love this one. But I think, you know, this is kind of tough because a lot of this depends on Melvin Gordon. If Melvin Gordon, like, gets injured week one, I think Javante Williams' ceiling is a mid-tier RB1. You know, if he's the workhorse of that offense, maybe you could even argue, you know, high-end RB1 with Melvin Gordon down. But for this video, you know, I'm trying to assume that all these players are staying healthy because then the floor of every player is just like a season-ending injury and they're doing nothing. So that's not exactly a great video. So I'm assuming that Melvin Gordon is going to be healthy here. And if we're looking at a ceiling for Javante, I think it's probably a back-end RB1. You know, maybe you're saying mid-tier RB1, but the touchdowns would just have to be crazy. I think more realistically, we're looking at like RB9, RB10 is probably the ceiling here for Javante. And then if we're looking at floor, he seems to be a pretty safe guy. We know this offense is going to be good. He's going to have a decent workload, even if he's in a committee here. I feel like the floor is probably a mid-tier RB2. People may not love that because I know Javante Williams has a lot of big-time fans, but I'm thinking like mid to low-end RB1 to mid-tier RB2 for Javante. Then we go back to the wide receiver position with Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is actually a pretty tough guy to evaluate here. I think we're probably looking at a ceiling of a mid-tier wide receiver one, like wide receiver six, wide receiver seven. You know, we've seen him be a high-end wide receiver one, but that was when he was paired with Patrick Mahomes. This is a big-time fall-off with Tua here. And then with his floor, this may seem crazy, but like mid-to-back-end wide receiver two, there's just something about picking Tyreek Hill in like the mid-to-back-end of the second round that makes me very, very uneasy. It's just when you're looking at like Tyreek Hill's ADP, he's going off the board as the wide receiver eight. Then you look at Jalen Waddell, who's going as like a mid-tier RB2. He's going like back end of the third round, maybe the three, four turn. It's just hard to see both of these players living up to ADP when you're looking at, you know, the quarterback position, the overall Dolphins offense. I also think there's a chance that Jalen Waddell is like this ascending wide receiver. Not saying Tyreek Hill is on like a steep decline, but I think they may finish closer together than we're expecting. And I feel like they both kind of limit the ceiling of the other one. Like, I feel like it's tough for either of these guys to be like, you know, top six and wide receiver points per game when they're both on the field together because I just don't know if the passing volume is going to be there. So I am probably a little more uh, pessimistic on Tyree Kill than consensus. So I'm going to say the ceiling is like wide receiver seven, wide receiver eight, somewhere in there. But then I do think the floor is more in like the wide receiver 15, 16, 17, 18 range, somewhere in there. We know the talent is there. I just don't know if this situation is going to lend to, you know, an elite fantasy football season. At 21, we have Nick Chubb, and the Deshaun Watson suspension news really kind of shakes up his range of outcomes, in my opinion. Nick Chubb's always been a guy who's had a very rigid range of outcomes. You're looking at someone who's either going to be like a low-end RB1 or a high-end RB2. That's where he finishes nearly every single season, but now this is going to be a much improved offense. Like Deshaun Watson really changes the whole thing, no matter how you feel about the suspension, whether you think it, you know, it was enough games, whether you think he should even be playing at all, whatever. Obviously, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just here to talk about the fantasy football impact. And Deshaun Watson on the field is massive for Nick Chubb. 
So I feel like he went from his ceiling being like RB9, RB10. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw like an RB6, RB7 finish out of Nick Chubb. That's probably the ceiling there. He's still likely never going to be getting receiving work, but like the efficiency and touchdown production could really be insane on this Browns offense. So I feel like mid-tier RB1 is the ceiling. And then the floor, like in this situation, I just can't see him realistically falling below like a high-end RB2. So it just seems like a really, really safe pick here in the late second round. Moving on to number 22, we have Mike Evans here. You know, Mike Evans' fantasy stock has definitely taken a little bit of a hit over the last like week or so. First, we had the news coming out. I think at least it was first. Chris Godwin, you know, optimistic that he can play week one. Most people were drafting Mike Evans, you know, early on, expecting Godwin to miss a few weeks and then, you know, take a few weeks to get back to his normal self, leaving Mike Evans as like the stud wide receiver one. So obviously now if Chris Godwin's back week one, kind of throws a wrench in that. And then we hear that the Bucks went out and signed Julio Jones. And I feel like this could be a big deal or absolutely like zero deal but we really just don't know until we see him on the field. I think a lot of people think Julio Jones is washed. He won't be able to stay on the field. The thing is, like, when he's on the field, Julio Jones has produced, last year was not good, but he was in and out of the lineup all the time. If you look back in 2020, when he was on the Falcons, he didn't play a full season, but I mean, the man was producing when he was on the field. So I feel like if the Bucks get him out there, he's going to be the wide receiver three, like wide receiver four. He's not going to be playing... 70 80 percent of the snaps he's going to be in like 50 maybe even like 40 percent but i think he's going to be in like that antonio brown role where when he's on the field he's going to be making plays so i do think that hurts mike evans here i think it makes his ceiling more of like a back end wide receiver one that's what it's been the last few years with his buck stacked uh you know weapons core when you had a b you had gronk in there it kind of seemed like at least a week ago that this weapons room wasn't going to be as strong. It was just going to be Evans, Godwin, and Gage. You know, obviously that's not exactly comparable to Mike Evans, a healthy Godwin, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. Then over the last week, we find out Godwin's going to be back, and then they bring in Julio Jones. So I think it's definitely a hit for Mike Evans. So I think a ceiling of a low-end, or a ceiling of a, uh, yeah, a low-end wide receiver one, and then maybe a floor of like a mid-tier wide receiver two. We know he's going to have solid touchdown numbers, He's still going to be in a thousand yard guy if he's healthy. You know, he's going to be on a high scoring offense. This is going to be a top passing attack. The volume's going to be there. So a safe pick, but doesn't seem to have the upside he had, you know, maybe a week ago. At 23, we're sticking on the same team, the Buccaneers. We're talking about Leonard Fournette. When we're looking at ceiling here, I think we're probably looking at like RB5, RB6, basically where we saw him finish last year. That was a pretty key role he had last year, super involved in the receiving game, decent volume on the ground, definitely kind of took over as the clear back after like week one of the season, whereas heading into the year, it was kind of him or Rojo. We didn't really know who was going to be the guy. So for Fournette here, I feel like that's probably the ceiling. The floor for Fournette, he's kind of in this weird spot where the profile doesn't seem great. Like there's just something that seems a little bit red flaggy about him. But then you look at it and you're like, great offense, likely to be the RB1 again. So then you kind of buy back in. Like I'm higher on consensus or higher than consensus on Leonard Fournette. There's still something that doesn't feel ideal about drafting him. I don't really know what it is. It's kind of the same feeling you get about drafting like James Conner in the third round. It's like, is this really a great running back? 
but then you just look at the money they've given them, the potential situation, the offense he's on, and then you buy back in. If we're looking at the floor, I feel like the floor for Fournette is that Rashad White comes in and starts to take away some of that receiving work. That would definitely be a big hit for a guy like Leonard Fournette. Even if that happens, he's still going to be the red zone guy. And I feel like probably the lowest we're looking at him is like a mid-tier RB2. So we're looking at like mid-tier RB1 to mid-tier RB2 range of outcomes here. And then the final player in the top 24, no idea how he's going this high on some platforms. We have Josh Allen. For Josh Allen, this seems pretty clear. His ceiling is the QB1. I think his floor may be a little bit lower than some people think. And it's not because I think he's going to have a bad year. I just think there are a lot of quarterbacks who could absolutely explode. So if guys like Lamar, Kyler, Justin Herbert, even a guy like uh, Jalen Hurts absolutely balls out. And Josh Allen just has like an okay year. I could see him being like the QB4, QB5. He would still play well, but it just kind of comes down to whether or not these other quarterbacks have like these insane seasons. So that's what I'm looking at for Josh Allen. So that is the second round kind of realistic floor and ceilings. Let me know what you guys think down below in the comment section. As always, thank you for stopping by and I'll see you guys in the next one.